At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Impossible to believe, really, in a way. I, I'm sitting here looking out over the river. We are 24 stories above Manhattan in the very shadow of Times Square. Mysterious, sinister, wild, fantastic Times Square. Where, on the one hand, you can buy an inedible taffy apple, you can look at a movie that cost $7 billion to make. You can look at a gigantic sign that guarantees that you can get a suntan without moving out of the range of your television set. You can sit right there on your duff, drink your beer, and be tanned in three hours. And you can buy a, a hat that looks like the top of Donald Duck's head with two great big orange ears and a big flapping orange bill out in front. And you can have your own name inscribed in Mother of Pearl, Mother of Pearl thread right over the bill. Frank L. Watanabe. Fantastic. And I'm looking out over the river, that old Devil River. And I can see hanging there like a low, sullen cloud, I can see the lost continent of New Jersey. Makes makes the old blood boil with the desire to, to run, get out there and just to, just to go, go, go to the far western reaches. It's impossible to believe that, that New Jersey exists, the mythical continent. Have you ever sat... Have you ever sat and looked out over the river at those poor lost souls wandering around out there in limbo? I mean, that's limbo. You know that there is a county in New Jersey named Limbo? Just wandering out there and look at it hanging like a low-flying cloud. As was pointed out by James Missioner, that, that, that mysterious lost land hangs like a low-flying cloud on the horizon. You shake your head, believing that first it's a mirage. You shake your head again, but no, it does not go away. It stays hanging, scudding over the water, New Jersey. It's impossible to believe that it's there. I mean, look at it over there. A steamboat goes past between us and Jersey, a steamer bound for for far distant ports. And believe it or not, not more than ten minutes ago, I'm sitting here waiting, waiting to go on, and I look out across there, looking at that low-flying cloud, that, that, that impossible mirage, that, that incredible creation of man's mind that couldn't possibly exist in reality, New Jersey. And between me and New Jersey, believe it or not, a Chinese junk 
sailed upstream on the Hudson, went right past us here, flying all flags, that high stern reaching up to the sky, a beautiful thing, and sailing downstream with this great big old steamer moving on. And between between us and, and New Jersey, there was a moment of reality and a moment of a moment of beauty and a moment of, of poetry. By George. You'd hardly believe it. Look at it hanging over there. It's incredible. 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 Look at look at the tiny spires. I remember one time, did I ever tell you about the time that I that I rode into a valley in Austria? I'll tell you about this. I had just passed through the Alps and was on my way to was on my way to a town in Austria. And I came down from a long mountain, a long foothill, uh, one of the foothills that crawl up the the uh, sides of the Alps until finally they break into that, that almost unbelievable thing that is the Alps. And I came around a long bend of the road, and lying below me was was a deep, dark Austrian valley. And it was it was about maybe... 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And it was very, very early in spring. It was actually late winter. And so twilight and and dusk came very early. It was maybe 4.30, quarter to 5, just about the time when it gets dark. And I came up over the top of this hill and made a, made a right-hand bend and a great forested road that I was driving on. And below me lay this valley that reached on and on, it must have stretched for, oh, oh, it's hard to judge, maybe 15, 20 miles. It, it kind of faded off in the distance. And down on the valley floor, I could see a river, a very tiny, thin thread of a silver river. One of the ancient four-letter rivers, by the way. Almost all the rivers are, get, have four-letter names for some reason. Or other. The, the uh, oh, I can name a dozen, Lotz, the, the uh, Avon, the... Uh, well, one of the most interesting of all the rivers that I've seen along in that area was the uh, Isar, the I-S-A-R, that goes on up through Bavaria and reaches into the mountains. And these, these are flat, low, beautiful rivers. And way down below, I could see that silver ribbon. But the thing that made it what it was, at that instant, at that very instant, was that all around on the hills, the sun had set. And the sun had already set down below in the valley. It was dark. It was dark down there. It was already nighttime. And where I was, it was still daylight, just that, that beautiful golden purplish haze of daylight. And on the edges of the hills all around me, it was still daylight. And on the far side of the hills, which I could see on one slope, it was still broad daylight. The sun was beaming in, and it was a golden day. And you could see the, the green trees crawling up the side with the shepherds and the sheep and all moving on down into the valley because it was night, and they knew it. But down below, it was dark. And I could see a few little lights. But I could see that silver stream of the river because it was catching the reflection from the sky and reflecting it back up to me. And it was, it was a sight that, that, that it, was, it was the kind of thing that you say, this is, it's, it's a mirage. It's, a, it's an illustration. It's an illustration of a fairy tale. And you, you can understand why fairy tales were written the way they were written by the people who lived in that, as you know, most of the fairy tales came from Bavaria. Uh, Hansel and Gretel 
the great black forest tradition and the, the tradition of, of Heidi and, and the Alps because it's an unbelievable world most of the time. And, and the people there wander through it as though they themselves, having lived there all their lives, don't believe it either. Just like the New Jerseyites wandering through that great low-lying fog that stretches on either side of the ribbon of reality, the turnpike, as the solitary travelers look forward from one Howard Johnson to the next, out there in the darkness, you solitary travelers, out there beyond the swamps lie the natives, wandering in their strange native dress, the New Jerseyite mooing occasionally. I remember once in a while, I used to, years ago, when I, when I had a, I used to do the show from Carteret, New Jersey, late when I was working late at night. And I would get off the main highway, off of the turnpike. You'd be surprised what lies there. And I would see the occasional shy, roguish eyes of the natives peering at me from the, from the gorse bushes that line those long, pebble-strewn pebble reaches of road that exist out there beyond the swamp. And I would drive along, and I would try to... Uh, I remember time and again when I would stop the car, and I would lure them close enough to photograph them. And I would, some of them even got, at one point, two or three of them got so they would eat from my hand. It's a wonderful moment. I would sit, and if you sit quietly, don't make any fast moves, you know, no fast movements. Don't, don't make any loud, sudden noises. If you sit on a log or you sit on a fire hydrant, say, in Hackensack, you sit on a fire hydrant long enough and quietly enough, don't move, they, you, you will find that they will, they will begin to come. You, you'll see them. At twilight especially, which is the feeding time. And, and you see them come down into the, into the light. And just, just be very careful. And you'll find, you'll find that, 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 well, as I, as I said, you know, it, it's a low-lying cloud hanging there. It's impossible to believe that it's there. It's impossible to believe. It's like, it's like one of the great, you know, one of the great problems that faces mankind today. And oh, we have billions of oh, problems, all oh, problems. You know, you know, as a, as a race, I, I have a feeling that in the end, since problems and troubles are becoming the great burden of the American, you know, you know why, why the rest of the world seems happier than America? It's got somebody now it can blame everything on. You see, and, and, and we are history's patsy right now, no matter what happens. If it rains... Three days too long in Abyssinia. The Americans, they are playing with the atom bomb out there. That's what's doing that. And everybody feels happy because you can blame somebody. If, if a river overflows in a South American province somewhere, the Americans, they are playing with the atom bomb there, somebody, the Americans. You notice I make all of them vaguely middle Europa accent. That's just foreign accent. That doesn't mean Argentina, just foreign accent. And, and, the point being, you see, the rest of the world is, is walks with a spring in its step now. It has discovered a doll into which you can stick pins. And, and we are natural pin, being naturally loving type people who want to be loved more than... I feel, along with Clifford Odets, I feel strongly that we should get rid of the eagle as, as the national emblem and we should get ourselves a nice, friendly cocker spaniel as the national emblem with great big eyes, big round eyes, looking up out of the flag and all he's saying. And, and instead of saying, uh, you know, the, the, the scream of the eagle is a fierce scream in the valleys. Oh, I mean, we, we're not eagles. I mean, you're not an eagle. Of course not. 
Jack Parr, he's not an eagle. I mean, of course not. What we need is, 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 is a nice, big, fluffy, Saturday evening post-cover type black and white cocker spank, you know, with big brown liquid eyes looking up from our flag and underneath it the motto, which should be our new national motto, please love me. Just love me. <laughs> and, and you see, a person like that is a natural patsy. He is going to get uh, he's going to get a swift kick in the slats every five minutes when he turns around, or even when he doesn't turn around. They'll turn him around. They turn around. Clunk. Every time things go bad, you kick that. And in every office, there's one guy who says, "Please love me." Every office, believe me, and he is the one who has the biggest welts. He is the one who gets the size ten and a half right in the right place all the time with the hobnails. I mean, he is the one who constantly gets it. And since we are the love-me people of the world, I mean, you know, just turn around. I mean, <laughs> just turn around there. The rivers are overflowing again. The, the, the plague of locusts has hit Estonia again. Turn around. <laughs> and, and we are the... Oh, but, of course, this is, we, we must be honest that always throughout history there has been a patsy. And incidentally, patsies are usually ex-bosses, interestingly enough. In, 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 the, in the historical sense. Uh, England became a patsy, you know, for a long while, and suddenly they were taken off the hook. Everybody was mad at the English. Uh, everybody was mad at Germany for a while. And now it's us, the patsies of the world. Can't you see, though? Yeah, that would be an interesting flag. Pegine would like that flag. I mean, either that or a soft, cuddly kitten on our flag. That would make a nice flag for America, you know. A little soft, cuddly Siamese kitten. With, with big liquid eyes looking up. Please love me. Just a little dish of cream and I'll be happy. Or speaking of big, fat, round, glowing, warm, liquid brown eyes and spaniels that just sit quietly hoping to be loved, this is WOR, AM and FM, New York, right here in the middle of the Big Apple. Aren't you got any business there, Don? Come on, let's just... Oh, I care not. I stand athwart the bulwarks. I stand atop the barricades, and I shot an arrow into the air, and I care not where it landed. <laughs> you know, one of those arrows, and into my, into my, into my bow, I shall put this slang. Here it comes, my George. blend makes the difference in taste. <laughs> yes, in cigarette taste, the big difference is filter blend, and only Winston has it. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Winston tastes so good is filter blend up front. Rich, golden tobaccos, specially selected and specially processed for true, satisfying flavor in filter smoking. So remember, it's what's up front that counts. Try Winston for flavor. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Just please... I mean, hello, hello, just please love me. That's, that's all. That's all I need is just a little love. Well, will someone please call and just say, we love you. Just, we love you. 
<laughs> you know, and speaking of the problem of love, speaking of, I wish I had, I wish I had some, some, uh, hey, Jan, I'll tell you what you do. Go in the next room quickly, into the library, and get a, a uh, you, you notice where all the classical music is lined up there? All right, I'll tell you what you do. Go in there. Do you know how to look in that file cabinet there? I'll tell you what you do. You go in there and get the... Uh... I'll tell you what. Go in and get Wagner's The Ride of the Valkyries. Valkyries. Either that or get the William Tell Overture. I have a very special reason for it. Ominous, deep reasons for it. Speaking of ominous, deep reasons... Has it ever occurred to you, Don, that one of the one of the major problems that man has to face today is what what uh, let's say what we shall call built-in obsolescence? Uh, you know, you, you just like you're, you're probably aware that your car has an obsolescent factor built into it. In other words, the men who build the car do so with an actual factor that is built in. In other words, they say, well, now, now this year we're going to build this car with this thing in that is guaranteed that we are making, it is obsolete. We are going to make sure that it's obsolete next year so that this guy will become dissatisfied with his car and that he will then go out and buy another one the year after. Now, that is actually built in. When I say build in obsolescent, I don't mean, you know, most people have an idea that, that progress sort of happens haphazardly. I mean, change happens. That the guy turns out a car and he, he builds the best thing he can build, you know. He builds it just the best thing he can build, and then the next year he gets another one. He says, oh, gee, you know, wouldn't it be great if we, if we made the, the grill round this year? And if we made the light square? And if we made the window in the back smaller? And if we made a stripe over the side there? Now, isn't that, I think that would improve that car. This is the way most people think it's done. But it really isn't, you know. Not anymore. The way it's done is this. And let's see. I'll tell you, last year we had that diamond-shaped grill there in the back. Uh, now, would you please get out the obsolescent blueprints for that one? And they find out that for three years in advance, they have already plotted the changes, which will come every year, you see. Instead of going from point A to point Z the first year, in other words, if they think of this, this great new shape, uh, let's say in 1959, in building it at night. No, they save that to 1965, and they gradually change the shape in different ways until you finally hit 65. The point being that they want you to be constantly a little bit dissatisfied. <laughs> How come they didn't think of that the year I bought my car? Well, they did, you see. <laughs> they thought of it three years before. And that's built-in obsolescence. And this is beginning to happen to, to man himself, you see. There is a built-in obsolescent factor. And you know what that built-in obsolescence factor is? What it's called? What I shall call it for you? That is called memory. You see, memory is, is at, at one hand, is the great beneficial thing of man. In other words, what, what do you have in your life? I mean, you've lived, let's say, 128 years, and you don't have much to go. And all you've got is what you've lived, the past, you see, to draw on. And this is, this is it's like a book, you know. That if you, if you constantly forget the book as you read it, the book is senseless. In other words, if, if you start to read at page one and you're now at page 274, but you have forgotten every page that you've read it, the story means nothing. It is meaningless, totally. And so memory is, is necessary to give meaning to your life, if there's any meaning at all. But on the other hand, memory keeps 
bugging you. It is, it is again, you see, it's the, it's the factor that keeps... Like, like, you sit there and you hear some guy, he gets up and gives a speech. He says, Our party is determined this year of all years in the sheer decision. Our party is determined to give rights, free rights to all men, regardless of race, creed, and color. And that once more man will be on the pathway, the roadway, to stepping into that beautiful, clean pasture, that clean pasture, ah, that safe harbor that all of us have been striving for in the great American tradition since the very first settler landed at Plymouth Rock. Now, you know, here's, here's where memory bugs you. Now, if you're hearing this for the first time, it sounds fantastic. But after the 34th time, you begin to sort of itch. You know? <laughs> ah, that great leader who shall safely steer us into the safe harbor. You begin to itch, you know. You can see yourself sailing into a safe harbor <laughs> with the leader at the helm pointing, the, I am here. And, 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 of course, this is why what I say. Memory, at one, at one hand, is a great thing, and at the other hand, it bugs you. And so it makes you obsolete. You leap up and you say, oh, come on now. And all the people who are hearing it for the first time say, uh-oh, take him out. Getting old. Take him away. <laughs> you know, that's true. Uh, the, the, as, you, as your memory gets more and more... Uh, complete. In other words, as you get more and more into the story, you know more and more about the story. And as you know more and more about the story, you are more inclined to snicker at e each episode as it comes up. Once you begin to learn the style of the author, you see. The author, in this case, being man. And he has his own style. And he's predictable, just like every other author is. Because authors are mad anyway, you see. And so, so you, you, you're bugged at one and the same time. And one of the problems, of course, is this built-in obsolescence. What do we do with all the obsolete people? Now, now, you are looking at a man, me, right now, who remembers nothing. Strangely enough, do you know that I can't remember anything that happened between... I don't remember 19, 1953 has disappeared from my memory. If you were to say to me, Shepard, what about 19... I can't, I can't remember anything. I can't remember one thing about 50... I can't remember... I can't even remember New Year's, 1953. I can't remember... I don't even remember writing 1953. Were you here... Do you remember 1953 clearly? Do you remember anything about it? Do you, for example, do you remember 1947? No. I have no memory. I remember nothing, which makes me a perfect 20th century man. I realize that I could very well be a man of the hour. And the minute I begin to remember things, I'm in trouble. I mean, I, I can tell I'm in bad trouble. Like, like many times, I sit in sales meetings or, or, or various other gatherings of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the optimistic plan of international believers. And I sit in these, in these meetings. I go to all kinds of meetings, luncheon meetings. And it's getting to be like a great, a great organ sound all the time in my ears. Everyone is going to plan a big thing for next season. Everyone has a big, big deal going on. And I've heard the same thing. And I, I never see the big deals happen. You know? I've sat here. I've gone to all the cocktail parties that introduce all the new models. 
then introduce all the new big plans. Operation Dynamic, which we're going to begin the 1st of September. And Operation Dynamic, and then I, I raise my hand and say, well, what, what, what happened to uh, Operation uh, Happy Happy? I mean, Operation Happy Happy. Well, that was the last crowd that were here. <laughs> and each operation, you see, uh, kind of fades off into the darkness. Now, I know that a large number of people are saying, probably listening, saying, well, what is this guy talking about? Because I notice one thing that's interesting. Most people lead lives of a, of a straight-line nature. They walk along a long, narrow, straight line, and they hardly ever look to the right or to the left, really, to see whether or not... Have you ever had the impression that you are in a cartoon? I mean, an animated cartoon, the kind you see in the movies... Have you ever looked at the background in an animated cartoon? I mean, you know, you see the, you see the dog chasing the cat, or you see the, the, uh, the duck chasing the beaver, or you see the mice chasing the bear, or whatever it is. You know, there's always a chase sequence in all these things. Have you ever looked at the background? I mean, just the background. Well, you'll find that it's the same background going past all the time. If you look carefully, the same tree they keep passing. They keep passing the same rock. They keep passing the same ponds. Well, look carefully at the next one you see. Have you ever had the feeling that you sometimes are involved in that same thing, that you might be a character in an animated cartoon, and you were running like mad, and you were passing the same rock, the same tree, and you're involved in the same chase sequence? That, that either you are the mouse chasing the rabbit, or you are the rabbit chasing the bear, and then it always turns around, you know, in any one of these things that the bear suddenly gets, he gets the upper hand and he chases the rabbit for a while. And then the rabbit chases, and if you'll notice, every one of them ends inconclusively. That you see the two of them running like mad over the hills and dales until finally they disappear in the distance, but nobody catches anybody really in the end, which is as close to real life as you can get. These are true realism, these cartoons. Much closer than, than say, something that Montgomery Clifton and... Uh, Elizabeth Taylor, you know, you get this feeling of Elizabeth Taylor, Montgomery, they come together in the end, the music rises, and you have a feeling that you have arrived at an end. Oh, no! Life doesn't end like that. After a two-hour session, it does not end with, you know, big music rising, and you walk arm in arm with this chick, you know, into the sun. No, no, what happens when the sun comes up the next day, and the next day, and the day after that? It sort of drizzles off, you see. And the next thing you know, you're passing the same needix time and time again, waiting for the music to go again. Which is, you see, I, I feel that this is why the cartoons have a classical quality. Much more so even than the classical western. A classical quality because they never are resolved. The, the, the rabbit never really catches the mice, and the mice never really catch the cat. They give him a hard time all the way. He's got black eyes and, and an old Bafo the dog is lying there in his in his dog his dog house and his great big teeth and he gets hit in the face and hit in the eye and he gets flattened up against the concrete, but he's right there running at the end. And so are the mice and so are the rabbits and the dogs and everybody, and you'll see them disappearing over the hill, which is exactly the way life is. And the and the horizon goes constantly past them. Now it is a matter of style, of course. Style changes. There's the UPA style. There's the uh, Moonbird style. There's the, even the Walt Disney style. All these are different styles. And they seem to be living, but they're all living the same life, still chasing over that same horizon. Now, now you, can, you can parallel the changes of style with the changes of time in man's 
existence is history. Sure, we don't dress like an 18th century man now. I mean, the houses look different from 18th. But the same life, you see. The same scurrying, the same chasing over the horizon and disappearing in the distance, completely unresolved. And so, so Beowulf stands up there with his great big old shaggy skin hanging all around and he swats down the giants and the monsters. He's involved in the same thing. Just different styles, see. Well, one of the problems, of course, is this built-in obsolescence. I would like to make a modest proposal, a la Charles Lamb. Have you noticed that the littoral is becoming littered with obsolete people? I mean soreheads and curmudgeons. Guys who keep leaping up and saying, now, come on, will you cut it out? It's getting worse, and you know it. I mean, nothing's happening good. I mean, you're just saying that. I mean, these are, these are getting to be very bad people to have around. So I would like to make a suggestion, a modest proposal, and I want to go on record as, as, as having said, I will stand by this completely. If you hear this on any comedian's LP from here in in, he got it here. If you hear it on the on the Ed Sullivan show, spoken by a friendly comedian who sits on a who sits on a stool and talks on the telephone, he heard it here first. I am making a modest proposal. And I think you'll see immediately the efficacy of this proposal. I propose that all the obsolete people Particularly, you know, one of the great problems we have today is, is used presidents. I mean, what do you do with a used president? I mean, a man who has risen to the rank of president is at the very peak. I mean, he's at the peak. Where do you go from the peak? You can't go higher than that. And it's sad to see a man actually past his peak. You know an ex-president has passed his peak. He has to be. I mean, it's like an ex-saint or something. He's an ex-president. You can't go any higher. You can't, uh, I mean, you can't be an ex-god. And here is an ex-president. What do you do with an ex-president? Now, each one of us, you see, we can stand each other because we always have the vague suspicion in our minds that our best day is coming. You know, the guy said, his best, you don't know that his best day is gone, you see, we can hide it, but not an ex-president. When you are an ex-president, you are an ex-president. But an ex-president, it's like an ex-chairman of the board. You know, when the chairman of the board is finally voted out and put out to pasture, sent off to the chicken farm that he always wanted to have in Rhode Island, and he keeps coming back every third or fourth week wearing his golf pants and making snide remarks, when he sees the sale charts and he walks up and down by the water cooler wearing his green eye shield, when, it, when he'd just come back from his trip to Europe three days early because he wanted to attend the stockholders' meeting and he makes those silly remarks, I mean, you know, what do you do with an ex-chairman of the board? How You can't go any higher, see, so I have a modest proposal for the obsolete people of our world, a modest proposal that I want you to consider for the ex-presidents, for the ex-chairman of the boards, and for, and I'll tell you another crowd, what do you do with an ex-big leaguer? I mean, a really ex-big leaguer. I mean, where could Babe Ruth... You see, Babe Ruth, after Babe Ruth stopped hitting the home runs, he was a broken man, you know. He's embarrassing to have around, you know. Babe Ruth, after Babe Ruth stopped hitting the home runs, he was a broken man, you know. He's embarrassing to have around, you know, really. This is a fact, you know. I mean, I remember one time I'm sitting in a, I'm sitting in a, in a gas station, 
in a gas station, mind you, in Ohio. A miserable, rotten little gas station. They had one of these little, little uh, dirty glass cases full of old candy bars and, and vulcanizing kits. And it smelled like old oil, you know. It was one of these just a little old crummy gas station that still had hand-operated pumps, you know. <laughs> and snorts the old gas into it. I am sitting there, believe it or not, I am sitting on a box talking away an afternoon with an ex-home run slugger of the National League. Who was not, he did not own that gas station. That's the sad part of it. He was just working there. He was working in a 43rd-rate gas station. I'm not going to tell you his name. It doesn't matter, you see, because that's the embarrassing part of it. Everybody wants to know who it was. Because, you see, you want to be in on the wake. And anyway, I began to have the feeling that X, that the built-in, the obsolescent feature is a terrible thing in man. Now, with cars, you know, the old dream... How would you like it if the car that you had all your dreams in, that you thought, yeah, I mean, your whole dreams were poured into this automobile was to come back and haunt you, that car, and come and drive around and look at, look, and drive right up your driveway and look at you. And you're sitting there in your new 1961 swept wing model and that, that old 1947 Dynaflow type, the one, that, I mean, the fantastic car that you poured your dreams in would come and look you right in the eye with its poor old sealed beam headlamp dimming. What happened to us? He looks at it. You remember? I remember when I was important to you. And look at you now. And this poor old thing. You see, the thing is that what that makes the automobile a beautiful de depository of dreams is that we can throw it away. And so we take these old cars and out there in that fabled never-never land, that lost continent of New Jersey, that lost Atlantis, there is a there is a a, a great field of acres and acres. And you know what they do out there, Don? They burn all the old dreams of mankind. All the last year models are burned and crushed and banged out of so that they can't come back and haunt you. But we can't do that with people. Well, I mean, you know, Western civilization and all that, we can't do that. So I have a modest proposal. Here it is. Are you ready to listen to it? I'm going to warn you, first of all, that I am aiming this at idealists. If you're not an idealist, get out of here. I am aiming this at people who have a deep love of mankind and the dignity of man, and that our new leader will safely guide us into a harbor of... Oh, excuse me. I got off the subject there. I, I, I insist, I insist that women and children leave, because we are dealing with a real problem here now. And all men know more about this than, than the women and children do, because women are never obsolete, nor are children. But men, oh boy, do they become obsolete and do they know it. Every man I know is an ex-second baseman. Every man I know remembers when he could make a pivot play of one kind or another. Every man I know remembers when he could move with feline grace through the jungle, carrying that mitt loosely, ready to make that... That, that hard, sharp fielding play, it's short. And I'm, of course, using the terms allegorically. I know, son, you don't play baseball, but it's another game we're talking about. Okay. I have a modest proposal. I propose that all ex-presidents, immediately upon becoming an ex-president, let's say the afternoon after the inauguration of the new president, that at proper ceremonials, 
at a proper, reverent time that the ex-president be completely encased in bronze, the way we encase baby shoes, completely encased in bronze to be immortalized and memorialized forever. How much higher can you go than to be a bronze statue? And then you see all the ex-presidents. That would dispose of a lot of problems. It, dis it disposes of the, the convention after problem. I mean, it's very embarrassing to have an ex-president show up at conventions. Believe me. Mr. Hoover is very embarrassing to a lot of people just because he's around, you know. Uh, yes, Truman, all of them, all ex-presidents. doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how great. Do you realize? It's. It's. Uh, can you imagine sitting around and talking to to Lincoln? Let's say 35 years after the Civil War, and he's lost his teeth, you know, and he's getting kind of senile. Well, I remember the old days. It's terrible. You don't want it this way. One of the reasons that 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 Lincoln is always considered a great man in our thinking is that he left the scene at exactly the right time. Believe me. Dramatically. That's why, in, in the minds of many people, Glenn Miller is still a great band leader. Because he left the scene before you could find out otherwise. And, and here, and, and this is not an inhuman remark, it's a realistic remark. So I make a modest proposal that all ex presidents be encased in bronze, like, like baby shoes. And we have a hall built in Washington called the President's Memorial Hall. And all of the presidents would be placed on, on, on great marble statues. And you'd see them there. You see, they'd be really there. You could walk along. You see, there's, there's Hoover, there's Truman. And they're, they're really there. They're encased in bronze, immortalized forever. And they can never... And, and, and exactly at the moment when they were still at their very peak, you see, he was a president when this happened to him. We might even arrange it to have it done 15 minutes before the inauguration of the next president so that we could properly say, this is a president. Do you realize that countless Americans would, it would be a, become a national shrine? A national... What do we do with old dictators? Poor old Peron wanders around, you know, he says, ah, the old days, the old days. It's very embarrassing to see an ex-dictator, really. Terrible embarrassing thing. And, and historical figures could submit themselves, you see. Immediately when they become, you know, when, it, when it's quite obvious that, that, that you know, there's just no way to go now any longer. It's just all, you know, you've been at the top. They could, they could, they could, automatically, they could automatically be submitted to a board. There would have to be an international board. I mean, I mean Winston Churchill, you know. I, I can think of countless men who, Pétain, Pétain is a superb example. Poor old Pétain, who was a hero in World War I, a great French hero, lived to become quite the opposite. And if, if somewhere right along that line he had been encased in bronze, never would have happened. And a hero would have remained on and on and on and on. Can't you, can't you imagine, can't you imagine, up at, let's, say, let's say General Motors. Let's say, uh, oh, let's say the International Watanabe Widget Corporation of North and South America gigantic corporation that for years has been the kingpin in the widget industry. An old C.M. Avery widget, a tough man who pulled himself by his bootstraps out of the mire, the mediocre mud of civilization, who rose to create an entire empire. He's now getting a little dotty. 
And so one day they decide that C. Avery is going to be put out to pasture. And they call him in, and they give him a solid platinum watch. They give him a solid platinum putter. They give him a solid platinum 38-foot crisscraft. They give him a solid platinum scroll. And then they lead him into the next room and encase him in bronze. I mean, it's beautiful. And it's, think of the problems it solves. And, and, of course, we could have our lesser shrines, the innumerable uncles and aunts who long since have outlived their usefulness to mankind. The, the innumerable, you know, you know what I'm talking about, of course. And we could, we could all have our little lesser shrines. Now, this is uh, Aunt Teresa here. And, and you, could have, you could have half models made, busts, you know, or maybe just a foot. I mean, if you, if you live in a small efficiency apartment. And, of course, the, the beauty of it is, is that all of us could look forward to immortality then, in one way or another. Quick, instant, and it lasts forever. Speaking of the lasting forever, I would like to point out that time and tide and the affairs of... Now, let's tune in a bassoon. The crisp kind of light with true lager flavor. That's the crisp refresher Valentine beer. Enjoy a tall foaming glassful and you'll soon see why folks have made Valentine the largest selling beer in the East. Hey, get your cold beer. Hey, get your I just couldn't resist it. There's so many things I can't resist. I, I wish, I wish, I wish I were... Oh, look at that, the lost continent over there. The, the reason I was reminded of, of Austria is that as I sit here and look out the window, I can see the, the spire of a church reaching up into that gray, gray cloud that is the imaginary land of the Munchkins. WOR Radio, your station for news. What do you hear in the best of circles? Shaver all around, people all about. The pleasure doesn't fade after one or two. You get that first beer pleasure each beer through. That's why you're here in the best of circles. Shaver all around. The pleasure of Schaefer doesn't fade after a glass or two. Your last one's just as rewarding as your first. Schaefer gives you all the pleasure of the first beer, every beer through. The pleasure doesn't fade after one or two. You get that first beer pleasure each beer through. 
that's why you're here in the best of circles. Schaefer all around. This is WOR AM and FM New York, an RKO general station at the time tone, 1 p.m. James McCarthy reporting. For up-to-the-minute reports, keep tuned to this station. Now the news. Well, the dark horse presidential candidate of the Republican Party, Nelson Rockefeller, moves into Chicago today for a meeting with his backers. Richard Rendell is at Chicago's Midway Airport with Rocky's welcoming committee, so we'll switch to you, Richard, for that story. Here at Midway Airport, Chicago, there's great activity and excitement. That's because Governor Rockefeller of New York is headed this way. Lots and lots of Rockefeller admirers are here. They are milling about, carrying banners which read, Draft, Rocky, who else but Nelt, and the like. Governor Rockefeller comes here to promote the platform proposals he and Vice President Nixon worked out in New York last night, and this crowd is all for him. This is Richard Randell reporting from Midway Airport, Chicago. Now back to James McCarthy in Washington. More news in a moment. Reach for your partner. Swing to the right when the music stops. Give her a light. L&M has found the secret that unlocks the flavor. Unlocks the flavor. Unlocks the flavor. L&M has found the secret that unlocks the flavor. In a filter cigarette. In today's L&M, fine tobaccos can be blended. Blended, blended, blended. Not to suit a filter, but to suit your taste. So through the miracle tip, pure white inside, pure white outside, you get taste, more taste, more taste by far. L&M has found the secret that unlocks the flavor. In a filter cigarette. Reach for flavor. Reach for L&M. Well, conflicting reports are sweeping Capitol Hill today about a possible East German move against free Berlin sometime within the next 30 days. Although it has been officially denied by top government sources, the thought is still giving a lot of Americans some worry. The man who initiated the thinking on the Red German move is Pennsylvania Democrat Dan Flood. He claims private intelligence sources told him... I was advised... Uh, by these sources that around West Berlin the Russians and East Germans, uh, the East German Russian satellite have been engaged for several weeks in a progressive and very definite build up of troops and uh, equipment, military equipment encircling uh, West Berlin my information is that these troop concentrations and uh, their military hardware support has been progressing and is continuing to the extent that there is encircling West Berlin now uh, in round numbers 35 to 40,000 troops. Congressman Flood of Pennsylvania. In other news, Congolese Premier Lumumba is en route to America today for a meeting with United Nations leader and an attempt to quell the growing feelings that he's headed toward the communist camp. Belgian troops, meanwhile, have pulled out of the Congo capital amid derisive cheers from Congolese onlookers. At the same time, U.N. soldiers who are replacing the Belgians started fanning out through the hinterlands where most of the mutinous Congolese soldiers are hiding. 
The latest word from the Congo came from a UN official there who said that in his mind, the Congo as a modern republic has fallen apart at the seams. That's the news. James McCarthy reporting. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.